I mentioned to you this morning there are three ways that you can determine the authenticity of a church. Like, if this is a real New Testament church, does, is this um, the type of church that I should be going to? First, I mentioned to you this morning that the church is supposed to be one that is founded upon the Word of God, that there is the authority of the Word of God, that that church follows the doctrines of the Word of God. So the first evaluation that you want to make when looking at a church is that you look to see if what they teach and preach lines up with the Word of God. That's why we have our starting point class. We go over some of the things, the major core doctrines that we believe with people who are interested in finding out just more about Open Bible Baptist Church. The second is, do they practice the ordinances? The two ordinances, the, the baptism, okay, and then the Lord's table or communion or some would call it holy communion, okay? So we have those two ordinances. So the first way to find if a church is really true to the New Testament, if it's authentic, is do they stand upon the Word of God? Secondly, do they follow the two ordinances? And thirdly, do they practice discipline? Do they practice discipline? And in our postmodern society, as I mentioned this morning, that can be probably most offensive. Because most people would say, are not my lifestyle choices private? Who's to say that one choice is, is acceptable and another's not? And what business of it is, the, is it of the churches to intrude in such matters? And I mentioned to you that the answer is really quite simple. The reason that a New Testament church practices discipline in the church is because it has to do with the truth about God's character and the meaning of our redemption. Both deserve us to be disciplined in the church. See, that's why churches that practice church discipline understand that they are declaring the character of God, they're declaring the purpose of redemption, and they are keeping the testimony of the church pure. So discipline is enjoined by all New Testament Bible-believing churches. What we saw this morning was that how do we, how do we handle when another brother or sister sins against us personally in the church? How do we do that? I mentioned to you from verse 15 that it's really a picture of the gospel. And it shows us that the first thing that we do is we go to that brother or sister. Why? Because it's a personal matter. It's a personal matter. It's between you and them. And the Bible tells us that not only is it a personal matter, but it's a private matter. It's not supposed to be broadcast around the church. If someone sins against you, you're not to be putting it out on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever you use um, and tell everybody what a terrible person this is that they have sinned against you because in all reality what you're doing is now you're sinning against them. So it's a personal matter and it's a private matter and then we found the principal matter. Why is Jesus teaching this? What's the reason that Jesus is teaching that there ought to be discipline in the church when a brother or sister sins against us? Well, the reason being is because the point is to be able to gain the brother or sister back. The whole point of this passage is not kick people out of church. You know, and that's almost what people take of this. Or they'll look in the New Testament in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians and say, Man, well, we just need to get rid of people in the church that are sinning. Well, wait a second. Number one, we all sin. Number two, we all sin against each other. And number three, the key is how is it handled? 
And so the principal matter is that Jesus is saying, I want to uh, gain that person back. Why? Because they are valuable. They are valuable. Christ died for that person. And so therefore, you go to that person individually. And if it is solved between you and that person, if that person repents, then it is to go no further. It's not to be brought up again. It's not to be mentioned. But you say, Pastor, then what do you do if a person does not repent? Well, here's the second point. If you're taking notes, write this down. Not only do you go, but secondly, you gather. You gather. Take a look at verses 16 and 17. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, then let it be unto him as let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican man. So the first step in keeping the church pure, the first step in keeping God's character pure, if you will, his, his name glorified, the first step in making sure that we, we don't water down the gospel, that we understand what it means, the meaning of our redemption is that we go to the person. But if they don't repent, then we gather. Write this down if you would. You gather one or two more, the Bible says. The next step to try, and again, what's the point? To regain that brother or sister. Now, again, we're not talking about mere faults here. We're not talking about idiosyncrasies. We're not talking, you, I, I, I don't need people going around trying to be the Christian police, okay? Number one, we need to remember that it's between you and that individual, okay? Now, the Bible does tell us if we see someone maybe going the wrong way, we need to encourage them or we need to kindly rebuke them, bring them back. Hey, well, hey what's going on? What are you doing? You know, come on, we, we, we want to help you. You know, so we don't need to be running around and, and trying to stick our nose into everybody else's business. But when somebody sins against you, the next step to regaining, again, the, the, va the value of that brother, regaining that brother, if they refuse to hear, if they refuse to be convicted, is to take one or two more people with him. But the object is still the same. It is trying to regain that brother or sister because they're valuable. Now, let me encourage you, though the, the passage doesn't say this, I would encourage you, if you're going to bring one or two more with you because you've taken the first step, but the first step has not worked, you find a mature brother or sister. You find one that knows how to keep their mouth closed. You find one that is trustworthy. You, you wouldn't want to bring a new Christian into this because they may not understand. But there is to be one or two mature brothers or sisters who are to be chosen to go with you and to appeal to the sinning brother. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 19 because the reason for this is found in the Old Testament. So your first step in keeping the character of God pure, of letting everybody outside our church know that what happens inside our church is the character of God is lifted up. He's glorified. We go. The, the reason that we do this is because we want to make sure that the gospel stays pure. We understand the meaning of our redemption. The reason that we do this is because we don't want to, to allow sin to continue to damage our brother or sister. Why? Because we love them. They're valuable, but if they don't repent, then this is the next step. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, if you would. 
In verse 15, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall a matter be established. So what's the purpose of bringing two, uh, another two or three people uh, uh, to, this, to this meeting or to, as we would say, this intervention is so that the truth can be established. That way, if the matter is ever inquired into, and if a dispute or an uncertainty arises, it can be properly addressed by the two or three witnesses. And though I understand this text, I understand the context of this text, Deuteronomy chapter 19, it is talking about the court of law. But the point that Jesus is making here is that the church should not apply any less stringent test than the courts of law. The, the point is, Jesus is saying, so we shouldn't be any more lax than what basic law would require. Why? Because we're called to a higher standard. Well, then what happens, pastor, if the brother repents or the sister repents? Then the matter, the matter is settled and it goes no further. Never to be mentioned again. So if the first step doesn't work and then you go to the second step, you bring uh, one or two others with you and you meet with that brother or sister and then they repent. You lay out the sin before them. The other brothers or sisters appeal unto this brother or sister. Then, then that person repents. They're convicted of their sin. Then the matter is dropped. It doesn't go to anybody else in the church. It's nobody else's concern at that point. It's done. But then, Pastor, what happens if that doesn't settle it? We'll take a look at verse 17. And if you shall neglect to hear them, then tell it unto the church. But if you neglect to hear the church, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So not only do you gather one or two more, but then next, you gather the church. I understand this isn't popular preaching or teaching, and I told you today I was going to do more teaching than preaching. And I understand this isn't popular today, but it is in the Word of God. And God's teaching us how we interact one with another. See, if the first two steps are not successful or are unsuccessful in reconciling, remember, not kicking out, not sitting there browbeating the person, not trying to, uh, to uh, push them out. It's regaining the brother. If he refuses to hear the appeal of the one who he sinned against, if he refuses to hear the appeal of the witnesses that are brought, then the matter must come before the church. You say, well, why must it come before the church? I think that's a really good question. Remember, we're trying to keep the character of God right? We're exalting the character of God. We want to keep the church pure, okay? And we want to uh, undergird the meaning of our redemption. The reason that it's brought to the church is for this. When the church knows about the sinning brother, he has nowhere to hide, and a sin cannot be hidden as well. Because many times what will happen is with the sinning brother or the sinning sister, what do they do? They start to talk to other people in the church. Well, do you know 
that so-and-so came to me, and I can't believe this. But then what, hap- and what happens is that causes division in the church, but if it's brought before the church, then that brother or sister has nowhere to hide. Again, what is the principal matter? What are we trying to do? We are wanting to gain the brother back. And then it becomes the responsibility of the congregation to appeal to the sinning brother. The church is the final court of appeal. If the sinning brother at that point hears and repents before the appeal of the church, then the brother is restored and the matter is to go no further. So you see the grace that was given? There's the first step. You keep it as private as possible between you and that person. The second step, so, so why? It's easier to ask forgiveness, isn't it, that way? It's easier to be restored that way. The second step is bring two or three concerned, mature brothers or sisters. Because that's, though it's a little bit harder, it's still easier than this next step. Then you bring that person before the church. If they repent before the church, the matter's settled. Do you know what I find interesting? The church does not determine if the church member will be disciplined or not. It's that individual who has sinned determines whether they will be disciplined or not. So it's not like I have any authority to come up here and just say, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to... We're not going to allow you to come to church anymore. We're going to throw you out of the church or whatever the case may be. No. But if the choice of the sinning brother is to refuse to hear the appeal of the church and he refuses to repent, then the most drastic of consequences occur. The Bible says if he neglects to hear, take a look at verse 17. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. See, we got to understand, it's not the choice of the church, but of the sinning brother. What's happened? He's neglected to hear. He's neglected to repent. He has chosen to self-expel, and the church must take action that the sinning brother has requested and remove him. The Bible tells us here that we're to treat him as a heathen man or a publican. What the Bible does not say is that we are to treat him or her unkindly. The Bible does not say that we are, not to, that we are to treat them without any love. The Bible does not say that we should even shun them. The Bible does not say that. It says that we should treat them like a heathen and a publican. That the words heathen and publican here are representative of those who are outside of the people of God. So those who are outside of the people of God are the unsaved. So how do we treat the unsaved. What do we do with the unsaved? We appeal to them to what? To repent of their sins and to come to know Christ. I don't know about you, but you're not going to win the unsaved by being nasty to them. You're not going to win the unsaved by being unkind to them. 
You're not going to win the unsaved by being unloving to them. You're not going to win the unsaved by ignoring them. You're not going to win the unsaved by shunning them. You're not going to win the unsaved that way. The Bible says that you are to treat this individual who is in known sin. They have broken the divine law of God. We're not talking about some mere offense. We're not talking about somebody does something that you may not particularly like, may not be your preference. We're talking about sin here. And it says that the way that we're to treat them is if they are outside of the people of God. So that means that we should reach out to that sinning brother or sister. I want you to turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. See, this is why people get this mixed up and they think that church discipline is all about kicking people out of the church and it has everything to do with restoring people to the church. It is a picture of the gospel. Take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this, by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. But admonish him as a brother. You say, Pastor, well then how should I interact with somebody that if we've ever had to go through this, you say, now I've, I've had to handle two cases when I pastored at, in, in, in Ohio. I had to handle two cases. Both of them, in six years, both of them were not disciplined. They were restoration because of the way that the person handled it. One person was involved in, in prescription drugs, became known and doing things unlawfully. And one was that a um, deacon's daughter had made some bad, bad choices and she got pregnant out of wedlock. You know what? Both those things, it, I'm telling you what, it didn't tear the church apart. It brought the church together. It was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable. But they were the ones that determined it. When I had them up here, Man, there were people weeping and crying, and I think the whole church came forward, and there was people praying and asking. It was wonderful. Why? Because there was true repentance. There was a restoration. They, they, they were sorry for their sin. They knew that they had committed sin, and, uh, and, and they knew that it was going to be made public, and so, therefore, it's kind of hard to hide if you're pregnant out of wedlock, you know. And it's kind of hard to hide when you're you're selling uh, prescription drugs and it's all in the newspaper and there's possible jail time because of that. So we had to bring it before the church and, and let them know this is, this is what's happened and these people are sorry. And, and you know it's an amazing thing? Both of them are still in the church today. That, that child that was born to that girl... He is one of the most loved kids in all that church. You would never know. You would never know. That man who was involved with, uh, with those drugs, I ended up getting to, um, he was coming with his girlfriend to church, and his girlfriend, uh, before uh, he got saved, him and her, they were living together. And then he got saved, and, 
And she started coming, and then they separated so that that way he knew that that's not right to be able to live in sin like that. And so uh, she, she had moved out, or he moved back with his parents. I can't remember how it all worked. And, but she came for almost a year, sitting in the pew, just listening. She was still unsaved. She ended up getting married. We had to go through that whole process. They ended up getting married. I got to be able to marry them. But, why, but how did that all happen? They're still in the church today serving the Lord, as far as I know. How did that all happen? Why? Because we handled it biblically. We handled it with, the, we handled it with grace. The idea was restoration, not to get rid of them. Not to try and destroy them. You know, the sad reality of many Christians today is that we eat our own. We're in a circular firing squad sometimes. Man, brothers and sisters are going to fall at times. I, I could fall. You could fall. The Bible tells us what? Ye which are spiritual, restore someone in a spirit of meekness lest you're also tempted. Man, if anybody should be for the fallen brother trying to get them restored, it ought to be us. I'm not saying that we let sin go. I'm not saying that we let known sin go. I'm not saying that or we just dismiss it. Yeah, it needs to be dealt with, but the simple fact of the matter is that we ought to deal with it with the heart of to be able to bring people back. Why? Because they are valuable to God just as we want to see people saved and come into the knowledge of the gospel and we plead with them and we share the gospel with them. We go after them and you say, well, pastor, how should I act with that person if we ever had to do something like that here? And I hope that we don't, but I'm letting you know that as your pastor, if I have to, I would. I, I don't want to travel down this road, but I would because of what the Bible has to say. I wouldn't delight in it, but I would because of what the Bible has to say. It says, keep no company with them, but admonish them. The idea there is to have continued fellowship without recalling them to repentance. So how do I handle it? If I see them, if I deal with them, let them know and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Man, we really miss you. Is there anything that I can do to be able to help you? It's not, oh, you see them, and you're like, <laughs> you, did you hear what they did? That's not the way Christians are supposed to act, folks. Can you believe that they did such and such? I can't believe how hard they are that they're not willing to repent. Listen, when you fall into sin, you don't know how hard your heart's going to get until it has to be broken. The goal is restoration. But if they refuse, then they are to be dismissed from the fellowship of the church. But not without the intent to regain. To keep the church pure, you go. To keep the church pure, you gather. But lastly, write this down. To keep the church pure, the character of God pure, the, the, the gospel pure, if you will, is... You keep it spiritual. 
verses 18 through 20. Take a look. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that ye shall ask, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. When it comes to the issue of disciplining a church, a person of the church or a church member, it's important that the church, the local church, be at its best spiritually. It's important that the local church be at its best spiritually. See, when a church has to discipline a member, when actually the, that member's disciplining themselves, in all reality, when we're examining that member because they've refused to repent, and they've, they've gone through the processes, three processes, now they're, they're at the fourth process, the fourth step, and they just refusing. When a church disciplines a member, it is actually examining itself and disciplining itself. And that's why we find in the last three verses of our text here, we find that the church must be at its best spiritually. Keep it spiritual. Let me ask you something, church. I want you to think about this. If this was you in that situation, would you want everybody running around talking about it? Or would you want the church on their knees? See, folks, I, I want us to be the right type of church. I, I don't want to allow sin to go. But man, if we had a, a brother or sister that was in just gross sin, they've sinned against another brother or sister and they've refused. As pastor, I'd be like, folks, there's no need to talk about this. But there is a great need to pray about this. Because my heart would be grieved, it would be heavy for that person. You would say, well, pastor, I really wouldn't care. My heart would be so hard. I could care less what you Christian people have to say about me. Yeah, I, I understand that mindset when you're in that position at that point. But let me tell you something. When you're in your right mind, you'd want people praying for you. So how do we keep it spiritual? We follow the word. You see three words here that, that, that are really implied here. In the last three verses, there's authority, there's prayer, and there's fellowship. There's authority, prayer, and fellowship. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall, shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This was a familiar phrase that the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders would use. But the point for us here this evening is that the church must be under the authority of the Word of God. Instead of our, throwing our weight around as Christians, we are to be underneath, we are to follow God's Word. See, if we're not a church of the Word, we cannot be a church that follows the Word. In order to be a church that follows the Word, we must be a church of the Word. And we must be a spiritual church in order to conduct church discipline correctly. The Bible tells us in verse 18 that what we loose or what we permit in the church what we allow to happen or to go on in the church must first have been permitted by God. 
So you know what it's basically saying? Look, we can't say that certain sins are okay, that we'll allow this in the church if God's already said that these things are not okay. It's the, the, the example is in 1 Corinthians with the, the man that was having incest, right? Committing, committing that, that, that sin. And Paul says, look, you're, you're, you're glorying in this, you're tolerating this, but look, God won't have this. You can't permit this, you can't loose this. You're not allowed to permit this. Why? Because God hasn't permitted it. So us as believers, though it may break our hearts, though it may, it may trouble us, we must be underneath the authority of the Word. See, it's the church being underneath the authority of the Word of God that we're actually exercising His authority to restore one of His fallen sons or daughters. So we keep it spiritually by following the Word. How else do we keep it spiritual? By being fervent in prayer. Take a look, if you will. It says in verse 19, And again, I say unto you that if any of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. It's interesting how often these verses have been ripped out of context, but we'll save that for another time. But the point is that we must be fervent in prayer. We must be people of prayer. We, we are longing for divine guidance through the word and through prayer. The Greek word agree gives us our English word symphony. And if you've ever been to a symphony, it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, if you, you like that kind of music, it's beautiful. But if the conductor got up there and everybody started playing their own tune... It would be mass chaos. I've never understood how those musicians can follow a guy waving a wand, you know. But obviously there's some method to his madness or her madness when the conductor gets up there. I don't understand it, but hey, those people do. But when you have a master conductor and you have mature musicians and they are in agreement what is made, Beautiful music. Sometimes you go to the symphony and you'll see people, they'll be weeping and you don't even know why they're crying. You're like, what's, what's up with this person here? Why? Because it's so moving. The word's very clear here. It gives us, it says agree. The point is that the church is, is, is agreeing in prayer and it's moving towards something uh, that will be, uh, turn out to be very beautiful and disciplining an Aaron member. Why? So that they can be restored. In this praying, we're not looking for our will. The person who's been sinned against is not looking that he would be, I guess, um, vindicated. No. He's not looking to assert his or her rights, but he's desiring that, that, that the sinning brother or sister will come back. See, it's not our will, but it's the Father's will. See, folks, though it may be hard, and I don't know how many people in here have probably been in a church where they practiced this biblically. But I believe if it's done biblically, there will probably be very few dry eyes. I probably believe that there'd be very heavy hearts. 
And though it may break our hearts to be able to have to remove a brother or sister from the fellowship because they just refuse to repent of gross sin, we have to do what's right. You say, Pastor, it's hard. I know it's hard. Do you think that I would rejoice in that? Folks, just for, let's just get logical here. Just take it, but for, I don't know too many preachers that want to preach to an empty church. So I'm not about throwing people out, I'm about bringing people in. Okay. No one is above keeping the gospel pure, the church pure, and the character of God pure. No one. Does that include you, pastor? Yes, most definitely. No one. What's the third way? Letter C, write this down, and we'll close with this. Because of the responsibility of all church members to keep the work of God pure, keep the character of God pure, if you will, and keep the gospel pure. It's to continue in fellowship. It's to continue in fellowship. The local church is to be a worshiping community, to recognizing the presence of the Lord in our midst. Take a look at verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. See, this is the reason for effective the effectiveness of united prayer. This is, this is the outcome of it. Look, folks, God is more than capable of convicting the heart of the sinning brother. More than capable. This is the unseen presence of the Lord. When we come together, when there's agreement, when there's this symphony of prayer going up for our brother or sister. Why? Because they are valuable unto God and we want to restore them. We want them here. And though the presence of Christ is unseen, it is no less real than when he stood visibly in the midst of the disciples after the resurrection. The Bible says that Christ will be in the midst of us. This is the precious, special, gracious presence of himself. And what this reveals to us is this is the grace that we need and the guidance that is needed in keeping the church, the gospel pure. Intervention. It is the responsibility of every believer to help keep the gospel or the church, the character of God, pure, if you will. I'm using that very loosely. Not just my responsibility. But pastor, what do I do when somebody sins against me, when they break divine law? You go around and you tell everybody about it. No, you're not, you're not a confrontational person. Don't worry about it. Just ignore them. Well, you try and do everything you can to push them out of the church. You know, that's not what Scripture says at all. Matter of fact, it says just the opposite. And we need to determine. You say, Pastor, why did you preach this today? Well, the reason I preached it is because of the next section. That's, well, that's just the next section. Do you know of anything that's going on? I wonder what's going on. Look. There's nothing going on that I know of. And if there is something going on, there's nothing going on with me, so I don't need to know about it. You need to handle it. Because it's a personal matter. 
So don't come running to me. You say, well, then why are you teaching it? Because that's what the Bible has told us. And we need to understand, I don't know what's coming down the road. You don't know, maybe this week, maybe a brother or sister is going to sin against you. The question is, how are you going to handle it? Pastor, I don't like confrontation, neither do I. You said, have you ever had to do this, Pastor? Yeah, it's easy for you to preach to others, but what about you? Yes, I have had to do this. How did it go? Some of those people that I've had to confront have become some of my best friends. I'm not saying that it always turn out like that for you. But you know what, my friend? One day, each of us are going to have to stand before the Lord. And we're going to have to give an account of the way that we lived our life. And what are you going to tell him when he says, you know what, you're responsible for a huge mess in a church because you refused to go to another brother or sister and now look what it caused. What are you going to tell the Lord? I just don't like confrontation. Folks, see, following the Word of God is more than following it when it fits our agenda or when it fits our feelings or when it fits our circumstances. Following the Word of God and being a Christian Being a disciple of Christ means that we do what the Bible says, even if it doesn't fit our personality, even if it doesn't fit our feelings, even if it doesn't fit our agenda, even if it doesn't fit our circumstances. We do what the Bible says. Because if not... What you're saying is that your truth, you've heard that a lot, haven't you? I've, I've noticed that the past many years. Well, my truth, this is my truth. <clears throat> what happens when we don't follow the word of God? Our truth becomes more important than his truth. And you know what happens? Exactly what we're seeing in America today. Utter chaos. There is absolute truth. It's found in the Word of God. He says, Pastor, what's the invitation? <clears throat> I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward this evening. This is what I'd like the invitation to be. Lord, please help me to have the courage and conviction that if a brother or sister sins against me, that I will handle it biblically. Then the second part of that is, Lord, help me if I've sinned against a brother or a sister to have a repentant heart and be restored gracefully. See, church discipline is totally up to you. It goes as far as you allow it to go. That's the grace of God.